0: All right, and we get into that beautiful moment where the show has begun. Hey there, everyone. My name is Ryan Mancini, and I am joined today, as always, with Sebastian Shug. And uh, just to tell you a little bit about what you're going to be listening to today, and hopefully for the next several weeks, uh, and hopefully well beyond that, too. (laughs) Uh, This is the show Mars on Life. Now, you're probably thinking, what does Mars on Life mean? Well, it's just thinking. That's all what it's all about. We're thinking, we're two guys that want to give our commentary on just about anything you can think of, uh, while also giving a platform and a space for artists to form their own kind of collective. Um, you can add add yourself into oh, of that. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, no,
1: I thought that was a great introduction. Um, so, like I said, Sebastian Shug, uh, soon to be college graduate and former, well... Uh, should I say current uh, Midlife crisis-y.
0: So You and me both, sister
1: <laughs> uh, In terms of Mars on Life What we decided to do was establish A sort of free-flowing potpourri Of artistic Sense And nature uh, in the aspects Of film, politics, music Etc So I feel like given both of our backgrounds Both collegiately, fraternally As well as More so just educationally, because, I mean, we both come from very different but very similar disciplines. You know, I believe I met you when you were junior?
0: Uh, In college? Senior? I think so. I I think it was my senior year, my graduating year, year. yeah.
1: So, you know, from, from both a communication studies and journalism standpoint alike, we definitely have our fair share of opinions regarding the subjects. So, if you'd like to get started, let's...
0: Yeah, well, I guess a little bit about myself as well. I mean, uh, Sebastian and I, we met up several years ago at California State University, Northridge. That's the school that you're still at, and I am no longer a student of. I have since graduated. Um, I graduated with a major in journalism and a minor in political science, so I kind of have a background in—it's one of those weird things where here I am on radio, and yet my emphasis on and off was— uh print and the reason why i say on and off is just simply because they would change it from emphasis to general to emphasis to general so that's part of the reason why i, I technically yeah, no. i went in general <laughs> i went through print and i left i think general so
1: and here you are holding a microphone in your face
0: exactly you know, uh so I mean, that's that's what 25 does to you okay. um
1: I mean, it's but be- I mean, it's definitely more of a, uh, a heightened discipline than what I have. Communications is just speaking, and it's about you—you you do what you want to do with it. So. I mean, I know
0: communications majors that are afraid of talking. So it's. It's so
1: ironic because if you don't, you just. That's it. You tank the class.
0: And I was the loudest person in the comms classes, and yet I was the one that (laughs) my profession, you're not supposed to hear my voice. So there you go.
1: And sort of the ironic twist is that is, uh, just to give a little bit more background about myself, uh, I'm actually a freelance publisher. So I spend the majority of my time in print, uh, whether it be digitally or physically. So I can kind of see where you're coming from in terms of, you know, that stance on paper. A lot of people see it, and hopefully someone will eventually pay for it. So... You know, again,
0: here we are. <laughs> yeah, and I think too, it's it's largely just about trying to give ourselves a new creative platform in order to get our message across. Because uh, just to let you know where exactly we are, uh, that's classified. Um, but on top of that, we are two people that grew up uh, in and around Los Angeles, and it's a very difficult area when it comes to obviously getting any kind of name recognition or even. When it comes down to something as simple as publishing. Right. Um, granted, a lot of the publishing is in New York City, but I'm talking about uh, if you're a self starter, if you're a journalist, like that's, this is a region that's notoriously known as a news desert in the journalism industry. So that's why this is a very tricky area and a very wide market to hop into. Um,
1: well, I was gonna say, you know, wide market, though, albeit very oversaturated you know it, yeah which is you know unfortunate for people in our field because that's exactly what we're best at what we want to strive strive in though finding work you know finding that well not not so much finding work well even though that is important finding that representation to showcase your work that's something that we both on and off in class and out of class struggled with And now sort of just having this, not so much air, but epiphany of what if we started that sort of platform in order to showcase those not misinterpreted, but more so underutilized artistic individuals. Yeah. You know, more so the people that don't get seen on college campuses that you may see wandering in the halls, you may see... Well, at least in my at least in my department, you see a bunch of flyers and posters and and things of that nature. Uh, you know, it, it really is a lot of I don't want to say shameless self promoting, but it is self promoting. If I'm being honest. Oh yeah, no, you know you got to be your own which, salesman. You do have to be your own yeah. salesman, which I do appreciate. And
0: my God, have I been down that trek? I'm still down that trek. Let's, mm. let's be serious. And it's also just about like that's I think the beauty of what we're gonna do with our show is. It's gonna go well beyond just, I almost gave away where we are. (laughs) Uh, It's gonna go well beyond uh, the people that we may have uh, met with along the path. It's gonna go far beyond that. It's gonna go, you know, we're gonna have people on the show that have not, we've probably not met before. You know, we'll probably have correspondence with. And if anything, we, understand that there's a lot of talent out there and a lot of great people out there that not only do they bring their own unique taste to the arts uh, whether that's books film uh, writing like journalism or even just anything that you would see like in an art gallery we also know that there's a lot of people out there that are doing a lot of good that pertains to our society as it stands and I think that's something that we want to showcase as two people that have been, as Bane would say, you know, uh, we, uh, <laughs> we, you know, we, which quote? We oh, There's God. so many memorable. You know, ones. we we uh, we adapted the darkness, you see, of and you know, we were molded by it, molded, uh, by it, born in it. You my know? Bane impersonation is actually better than that. But um, we we want to make sure that we're finding the right people that can address the times that we're in but not feel as though they're being completely wrecked by it, for the lack of a better term. I want to say
1: not exactly wrecked by it, but as, as you quite eloquently put it, you know, adaptive to it and more so adapting to what someone's learning now and what someone has already learned, you know, taking from one's past, inundating that into, you know, let's say future experiences, talents, and expertise, so... I guess until that point, we should go over our first topic.
0: Well, and I think, too, that's actually a phenomenal segue, because that basically <laughs> addresses kind of something. I was going to gonna mention it generally just because I know, and I was going to prep you on this, and I know I didn't, and I apologize. No but um, worries. It, it, the show's also about finding that right kind of representation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously that's something that uh, I know the Oscars had some ups and downs in trying to address that. Very recently. Um, but at the same time, it's something that even in the publishing industry, it's plaguing a lot of great works of art that are right. coming out. And I basically mean books. Um, I know that, and I don't know if you've heard about the American Dirt controversy. I have not, actually. Oh, you know, interesting. Which is you know,
1: surprising, considering I'd, I'd usually be up to date, especially with news regarding... A pilot, <laughs> though you know you kind of sprung this one on me. So uh, yeah, well, no, it's feel free to start. I'll I'll chime right in.
0: Very generally, I mean, uh, and this is something that I hope we don't do, and I hope it. Mm-hmm. If anything, a situation like this is, you know, not to sound cliche, but it's opened a lot of people's eyes to content out there that is more representative of the specific issue that American Dirt touches on which is mm-hmm. about immigration and okay. people coming across the border and the book has generated a lot of controversy in terms of the fact that the author herself is she she has some I think she has ancestry that does date to or not date but uh, originates from I think Puerto Rico okay um, but she's basically a white author talking about Putting a face to the faceless and and trying mm. to uh, just sort make, of like pick out amongst the crowd in a way. Well, she's trying to she's trying to write a book that has been received as being the grapes of wrath of our time. That's a tall order, <laughs> and that's because uh, the book Wait, is she. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt. She's and,
1: being criticized because she holds herself in this high regard of it's going to be the next grapes of wrath or well, other
0: people have reacted to that. Okay. And there's been a lot of controversy in terms of how so much she so, was paid and okay. like she was paid like six
1: or seven figures. So, it's not an ego issue or it is an ego issue.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's a combination of the publishing industry having issues with not having issues with, but promoting authors and works of art that aren't necessarily reflective in a very healthy or positive way. Mm. They in a, like a lot of the art a lot of the discourse on social media has basically said that this book has really bastardized a lot of the discussion around people that you know want to come to the United States for better lives for themselves for their children for the rest of their families okay. and uh, the thing is is that she there's people that are wondering maybe she didn't do enough research there have been like anti-immigration like people well, are like assuming she's taking an anti-immigration stance. Well, right? it's I guess the, the best way to summarize it is there's a given the positive feedback that it's gotten from more kind of renowned mm. praisers, okay. if that's even a word, it, it's basically like it's this great white hope when right. there's already people of color writing these kinds of stories about immigrants that are either based in reality or they're mm-hmm. just straight up journalism that are already doing an amazing job, but they don't get any kind of recognition. And yet her book is on Oprah's uh, book club. It became Oprah's book club for 2020.
1: Ah, okay.
0: And so, and I think Barnes & Noble, they've been heavily promoting it as well. It's,
1: it's how it goes.
0: <laughs> and so it's just kind of, if anything, that whole situation, which you know, I'll definitely share more info mm. with you afterwards, uh, it's something in which I've looked at that and I've thought that's definitely what I don't want to do with this show. (laughs) No, no, of course.
1: I I mean, speaking from personal perspective in my line of work, you know, when it comes to publishing certain material, there is an intent, obviously. And I'm not talking about like an intent of. I'm not just talking about an intent of you know what's the genre because obviously that's how you're going to market your book but more so of the writer's voice, the narrator's voice. And I'm not, because I'm only seeing this at face value, you know, of course I need to do more research it myself. However, you know, I have to ask, compared to other works of this nature, you know, I'd like to actually like kind of preface my own opinion then ask you the same question. Do you think that it's like you know, intended as like slander, you know, whereas it's misrepresent- it's misrepresenting X, Y, Z, you know, for the sake of it, to make a statement where it's, you know, it's brash, it's unapologetic. And that's why, you know, it's like, it's critically acclaimed.
0: Uh, initially, I was going to say, and is that a good thing? Well, I initially, I was going to say neither. But the second one, you're, you're kind of closer to the what the discourse has kind of shown it to be where. There have been some other authors that are curious as to whether or not there may have been some plagiarism done Oh. Okay. In, in regards to their own work. Um, I know that NPR did a phenomenal episode of it where they interviewed several authors that have had some kind of involvement with the, sh- uh, with the book, including the author herself. But the idea is that it's almost like it's being pushed up as being this big epic that touches on the humanitarian crisis of our time, but it's coming out of the perspective of people that are reading it and not fully getting the authenticity of the people that this book is said to, you know, if it, basically if you were to take the characters and treat them like real people, the culture that's reflected in the book does not necessarily reflect, reflect the culture, culture okay. of the real people. And she's also said things mm-hmm within the book, I believe in the author's note, that are very controversial in terms of uh, a face browner than mine writing it and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And the problem is, again, there's a lot of people of color that are writing about this issue. You know, I um, I've had the great chance to finish reading uh, Lost Children Archive by uh, Valeria Luiselli, and, like— You know, and and this is going to be an issue that we'll talk at length probably from now until the end of time (laughs) about literature itself is the fact that, you know, in an oversaturated market, how is your book going to stand out? And and see, that's the thing. Like, if,
1: if you're intending it to be this great work that is going to be, you know, publicly criticized, which, to be fair, does have its strengths, you know, especially... Uh, my specialty is actually in satire and more so the dark humor. Um, that's not to say that I specialize in it fully. You know, I've had my range of children's books to coffee table books to what can be construed as pamphlets. What
0: about a coffee table book about coffee tables?
1: That's that's subjective photography. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that, Jerry. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> um... But what I mean is that, you know, work that's intentionally satirical in a dark, humorous nature, or more so the element of not so much surprise, but shock value, you know, granted that is a very one-note way of causing an uproar, but it does work.
0: Well, the other, the other factor with the uproar around American Dirt, uh, and I have some info in front of me to kind of help us out here uh i'm a journalist damn it uh janine cummins is the author she's written other books as well um but some of the controversy with the book has been circled around the graphic violence the fact that she uses spanish and a lot of different phrases in ways that would not be used right by spanish speakers and on top of that
1: I mean, I can understand taking liberties in terms of like you know these are real life events. This is what happens, and it's not always pretty,
0: right? But in this case, it's it's supposed to be strictly a novel. Exactly. And it and so. it reads like a very graphic crime novel. Mm. Um, and so at the end of the day, a lot of people have reacted to it uh, with hashtags and and basically saying that some some of the early reviews for it, especially from. Uh, you know, there was one author. Uh, her name is uh, Miriam Gerba. She wrote, uh, and if I'm butchering her name, I apologize. But she wrote an excellent review about it. And she went through. She, she's gone through so much crap on Twitter with people saying, you know, who are you to say, you know, whether or not this is a, a good book or a bad book, mm-hmm. and. So the interesting thing is is that the publisher decided to withdraw the book tour for American Dirt. And some of the claims that have been made is that, you know, we've received our own kind of threats from people that are unhappy with the book. Now, so far, there's been, to my knowledge, no proof of any threats towards the publisher. But there's been threats towards the people criticizing the book. Oh, so people in support then. Like
1: vehemence. Yeah, yeah. people that
0: that they look at the book and they literally put it on a pedestal when they don't understand the culture or the context beyond just kind of a whitewashed interpretation of the issue. Um, And I think that's something that, you know, I know a lot of people, journalists I know who are trying to – who want to elevate people of color that – done amazing works of fiction and even works of journalism you know put together in a book they've done an amazing job of trying to elevate those authors you know some of uh, somebody actually made a canvas painting of a bunch of those books including uh, lost children archive Mm -hmm. and so I think that's something that looking ahead is certainly something we don't want to we don't want (laughs) to repeat Um, you know, authenticity is key, but at the same time, we, you know, we look at publishing and we look at books and we kind of think, "Wow, there's a crisis going on, and this is unfathom- unfathomable." Um, and I say that too as somebody that you know, I as a poli sci minor, and you know this, you've seen me. I love reading my political books. <laughs> I may have finally <laughs> oh, read the final political book because everything either gets so repetitive mm-hmm. or you're thinking to yourself what have I actually learned I well, mean, per, well personal
1: question yeah. are you ever going to get sick of them
0: Oh yeah. I already I have yeah
1: no no but more so more so to the point of are you finally are you fi- well now that you've answered my question are you mm-hmm. finally sick of them to the point of exploring new genres because I know that's kind of your niche right and there's nothing wrong with that yeah of course it's it's not at all a slight to, uh, you know, remain active in the political discourse of the world. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and, and for me— Hearing you
1: now versus hearing you about three years ago so wrapped up in, in a you know,
0: Gore Vidal. Well, no, here's the thing. Some of my favorite authors, I will go say. back and read their stuff. But that's because that's writing that was from a different time, um, whether it's about, you know— Authors, you know, if it's Hunter S. Thompson writing mm-hmm. about the 1972 election, if it's uh, Gore Vidal writing about Aaron Burr, uh, that's a novel, um, mm-hmm. great novel. Uh, if it's about, like, if it's about any of these authors from a, of a certain time, mm-hmm. I will keep write, uh, reading from them. Right. But the industry now, it, it, it's kind of like, how many more books can come out ex- saying the same things about Donald Trump?
1: I mean, I, I, that it point, only took us
0: twenty-one minutes to mention <laughs> his name, but you know, and at that
1: point, that's when you decide, you know, when you stop reading. And it looks like you're you're sort of slowing down. You're, of course, you're not going to just let go of the concept fully. Of you know, I'm going to stop reading political material. You know? Well, it's that's it's, you know, that's of course your interest. And I think
0: too, that's the the danger we're now in with you know with politics in general too is just the fact that and granted like i've had these revelations for the last like i think for the last couple of months between my two passions in life star wars and politics which is the more and more you kind of get away from the root reasons why you liked it in the first place Mm -hmm. the more and more you just kind of get dissatisfied with everything that comes out subsequently is
1: that why i can't stand the prequels
0: uh, well, I'll I'll, tell, I'll put that, it.
1: Is that the proper justification?
0: I, I mean, at this rate, episode three is looking better and better after episode nine. But I, you know, but again, but as Maz Kanata said, that's a good question for another time. Um, but yeah, because the a lot of the shows, a lot of the shows, a lot of the the books that I have read, it's about trying to build up my knowledge of history and politics and how they blend together. But in recent years. I mean, obviously having a controversial, you know, which is a total understatement. I almost swore. Uh, it's an understatement to say, you know, having a controversial president, how much further can you go from that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you start to realize, well, it's easy. It's it's about getting people out to go out and vote and changing that. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you can actually change things. Otherwise, you're just repeating. And this is something that I know uh, – Other podcasters that I've listened to, they say the same thing, that in politics, nothing ever really changes. You know, when you have an elect—like 2016, there were people saying, you know, there's a Bush and a Clinton running for president and a Jurassic Park movie is number one at the box office. And then you would get a little meme of Robin Williams from Jumanji saying, what year is it? and that's because that's what was basically happening all those years ago so cats and dogs living, living together, together mass, mass hysteria, hysteria. <laughs> and so I think that's the trouble I've run into and granted you know and not to pontificate further on this but I'll, I'll kind of wrap up this point which is in terms of like my own reading I fell out of love a love of reading I, you know I grew up obsessed with reading I would read like five books at once, I was a, a nutcase about it. And then sophomore year of high school, which was the worst year of high school at the place that I went to for high school, totally turned me off. And it wasn't until... First, I I, I got slowly back into fiction, uh, and it was the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo trilogy. Um, and that was also part of the reason that kind of drove me towards the journalism path to some degree. Um, right. Right, right. I've only admitted that to very few people. Um, <laughs>
1: well, now there's a whole audience. <laughs> yeah, thank
0: you. Thank you for uh, giving me that chance, uh, audience. I like to thank the Academy. No. Um, <laughs> but with, there's that, and then on top of that, I kind of had a developing philosophy on just kind of the world and, you know, creation, and, you know, I'm not, I never grew up religious, I'm not religious, so I, I kind of had a moment to think, like, okay, I want to start, like, going down a path of just learning and understanding, you know, space, time, reality, and all that jazz, and, you know, it started off with, uh, I was in my senior year of high school, and I read A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking, and it just kept going from there, and I, you know, it's been everything from politics to more history to, uh, you know, the social conquest of Earth, like, all these different tech, you know... Uh, Jerry Seinfeld's comedy book, like you know, it, it became it, it became eclectic, and but at the heart of it was still politics and history, and I realized once I hit that point where I realized the overwhelming majority of my favorite authors were dead, and I realized my favorite author, uh, who's Tanasi Coates, there's no one else like him today. Mm-hmm. Frankly, Um, it's just it's a writing style that just clicks in my mind the same way a lot of my favorite authors writing styles click in my mind. And I'm slowly like and I I actually said this in an Instagram post recently where about finishing uh, Lost Children Archive, how uh, I want to make sure that I can go beyond reading what I want to read and authors I want to read from to reading from people that make me actually realize why I bother why I bother to create any kind of content. Uh, the original line from Christopher Hitchens would have been, you know, why I bother to write, but in this case, as the print journalism major talking into a microphone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, I've kind of hit that same kind of almost bizarro version of that, where it's like, you know, it's not that I want to read less, but it's just that there is so much out there mm-hmm. And now it's at the point where it's got to be something that either really pulls me in or something that I'm doing it because a friend or, a, or someone I, I really admire wrote it. No, really you know?
1: right, no. Um, you know, when it comes to, uh, well, first of all, very elegantly said, <laughs> elegantly said, when it comes to discovering those new genres, though, it, it is a very, it's, it's muddy water is what it is. You can't. You can't just simply dive headfirst into a specific genre. Q2
0: Muddy Waters in Family Guy with His Kidney Stone. Anyway, keep going.
1: (laughs) It's definitely, you know, Muddy Water, Whirlwind, whatever opaque classification you have of the genre itself, because you're going to get those sub genres and micro genres of, you know, things that you may be interested in at first. You read the first 10 pages and you're just like, wow, this really sucks, or this just really doesn't click with me. And it was kind of interesting kind of segueing into different genres that we never would have expected to really study or go into. Uh, I actually recently had a deliberation class the other night and uh, we had to choose a topic for like our first take briefing. Mm-hmm. And it, it was centering around a it was centering around, it was centering around an issue, That we sort of held dear to us of policy change. Now, everyone chose these lush, extravagant topics such as climate change, immigration, healthcare, legalization of marijuana. You know, you could you can go to procon.org, there wasn't a single one that wasn't talked about.
0: Right.
1: I chose book banning, Hmm. which is again sort of a niche topic, but given my history given my, I don't want to say expertise in the field, but definitely my interest in the field. I mean, I don't think
0: you've had a religious leader issue a death order <laughs> or a death sentence on your life. Well, uh, you know, like not Salma yet, Rushdie. not that I know of.
1: Yeah. But essentially my topic was book banning, and the professor loved it because it was just so different. And mm-hmm. I don't know if whether or not she just had faith in me, more faith than I ever did, but we had to you know, defend her point, obviously. You've been in an argumentation class before. Yeah, yeah. And I was under the impression that, well, I was under the stance, uh, my impression stands that book banning should not be implemented in places of academic study, consumption, purchase, you know, what have you. Mm -hmm. You know, it should be left to subjective opinion. And, you know, again, you may disagree, audience may disagree, that's fine. What I did that was different, though, was I brought in elements of not only fiction, but also nonfiction of book like classified as book banning um it doesn't have to inherently refer to you know excessive use of violence you know promiscuity (laughs) or you know rampant drug use excuse me Um, it can also just deal with you know very harsh heavy topics and the argument the main argument that i had is that not only does it stigmatize elements of you know subjects that are obviously fiction and i actually held up uh, the books Brave New World and Lord of the Flies. Uh, those are my two favorites. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know I, I do like the dystopian just yeah. sort
0: of setting. But I actually do prefer Brave New World over. Uh, no, I do too because uh, I think I do too. 1984 you know, and granted like to Orwell, what it is is that, which isn't a take away from Orwell. No, 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 he, no, no I mean no. he was he was a master class. He was a master cl- journalist, ex- you know
1: but what I'm saying is that when it comes to Orwell versus Huxley,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Huxley just has this tone to him. He's very descriptive. Orwell is more the same, but Huxley—how do I, how do I classify this? He's very meticulous in his speech. Okay, and I guess I am too, to the point where you know. After rereading Brave New World, after God, what, four years since being a senior in high school, right. I started to notice not only just how long the first chapter was, but really just the very much in-depth nature of how the fertilization room—if you've ever read Brave New World—just occurs. Going into how different subs- subsets of classifications of humans, you know, it blew my mind back then. It blows my mind now. Yeah. But going into my last point, mm-hmm, sorry to mm-hmm. segue was that book banning not only constituted works of fiction, mm-hmm. but also works of nonfiction. Okay. And my other example of a quote-unquote banned book, which I found was, you know, I don't want to say incredibly alarming, but just incredibly disconcerting, mm-hmm. was uh, Ellie Wiesel's Own Night.
0: Yeah. That one I actually still have not Which, read. you know, of course, if you
1: haven't read it, is...
0: But I know it's like, for like it's one of the
1: most famous Holocaust memoirs of right of the millennium. Yeah, and the fact that all it, of the
0: century. Well, of the century. Yeah.
1: my bad. <laughs> the fact that it was not so much banned, but more so just pushed to the side of, hey, this is controversial, mm-hmm. but it's history. So how do you how do you justify that? You know, just because it dealt with heavy. Okay, just because it dealt with heavier themes, that lumped it into the same category as things that are considered dangerous, not mm. suited for, you know, readers' eyes.
0: Yeah, um,
1: and I don't know. Just it was very, just very disconcerting to just. I, I'm I was sort of at a loss for words about this last night when yeah. I covered the topic and when it comes to things like subjective opinion and artistic expression mm-hmm. it shouldn't be trampled on especially of something this you know seemingly insignificant to some who may not look to reading as a hobby yeah but to people like you and I could definitely care about uh, anyway that was <laughs> yeah. My point. you know, it's well, I'm, I'm not, not sure th- if you've had any uh, interest in the subject. It's oh, not-
0: I have. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I I mentioned Salman Rushdie a few moments ago. You know, I I read The Satanic Verses. I love the book. Mm-hmm. Um I probably now can't go to Iran for saying that now. <sighs> um I wasn't planning on going. But uh you know, yeah, the whole concept of banned books. I mean, it's And I think that's another interesting thing too is the fact that with the oversaturation in content now, and given that we don't live in, in a lot of ways we don't live very much in the same society that we were in, uh, you know, back in the day when you had, you know, Joseph McCarthy, Mm -hmm. or back in 89 when you had what happened, the fatwa on Salman Rushdie, or even as recent as uh, roughly... A little over a decade ago, when you had you know the murders of uh, Theo Van Gogh in Europe, uh, you know, or or even Charlie Hebdo. I mean, I think we we are now living in a world that's far less. I was going to say far less uh, not polarizing, but it, basically like we're 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 at a point now where everything is so polarized right. where. It's hard to even think of anything being taboo anymore.
1: Well, that that was also the ironic twist that I implemented in my speech last night. Whereas mm-hmm. something that was written, I want to say, 10, 20 years ago, was incredibly touchy subject matter back then. Yeah. Whereas now in the 21st century, we're looking at these very same elements as, you know, being taboo. But given this, you know... You say polarization. I say the opposite, where it's more so just a higher tolerance, whereas it could be reanalyzed, reinterpreted, mm. and again, it's also much de- more left up to subjective opinion.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, I think it's also like desensitized. Like, right. like you can go to you can go to a bookstore now and pick up the Satanic verses and not have to worry about somebody, you know, killing you or like. like uh, It was just last year. I didn't get a chance to pick it up, but uh, Edward Snowden's memoir, Permanent Record, came out. And he was trying to get squashed by the federal government for, you know, any kind of money made from the book. And the federal government wasn't going to cease the book's publication. But at the same time, they didn't like the idea that he was profiting off of talking about things that they deemed unclassified or that they deemed classified rather. But he wasn't revealing anything new in the book. It was, it was basically just his account it, right, right. of his life, his life since he went public, since he left Hong Kong and gave all that information to Glenn Greenwald at The Guardian, who was then at The Guardian. Now he's now even Glenn Greenwald's going through his own rigmarole with the Brazilian government. You know, it's, it's stupid and ridiculous. I probably now can't go back to Brazil for saying that, but, you know... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Would you want to go back? Uh, uh, a good question. For another time. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. It, the subjects always uh, appeal to me. The only thing is, is like I said, nowadays, you know, something like American Dirt, it's controversial in the sense that the it's it's more to do with the publishing industry and right. how it looks at things as being successful compared to other things. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that, you know, you can have books that come out that get the New York Times, you know, best book of the year stamp of approval, and yet you never hear it within the zeitgeist. It's like, well, is it really something of no? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, to some degree, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was a trend. You know, I I still love those books, but they were a trend from a decade ago. And in this case, to, to outright say, that uh, American dirt is the grapes of wrath for now is bonkers because there's authors out there that have done even better works. Uh, you know, I mean, I keep mentioning uh, Valeria Luiselli's book, but uh, you know, there are so many people out there that are covering the issue of immigration and putting it into nonfiction, poetry, uh, novelizations that capture it in a way that's artistically sound and it's something that i'd like to think we i mean i know i I found it appealing i know you haven't read uh luicelli's book i highly i think the paperback's coming out this month if it hasn't already i'd recommend it um because it it, she's she has it very fragmented and and kind of it's a through-line story but it is so fractured Because it's about a family traveling across the country And they take inventory of their belongings And she jumps from perspectives From one character to another And it's just It's written in such a great way While also addressing I mean David Bowie gets brought up in the book (laughs) And I'm going to say this now I'm going to be talking a lot of David Bowie on this show So get used to it Um, But uh, you know Not to spook everybody That for me just planting my flag in the ground, but anyway, it's, you know, and it talks about the Apaches and Geronimo, and, you know, Geronimo's a hero of mine, so there's a lot in the book that's, it was unexpected, but it was also like, damn, this is a, a lyrical masterpiece, which I think is what I said on Twitter about it, um, so yeah, so, but kind of to get on from that subject, uh, you know, a part of, I think also why we're kind of looking at having the show begin and move forward is just out of the fact that we do kind of see the arts as being in some kind of a crisis Mm -hmm. and being in some kind of danger of over-commercialization and you know you can have raw talent out there it's just that you're because you're not paying to see it it's almost as if you don't know it even exists. Right. Now, again, that doesn't help our pitch,
1: ironically, as yeah. you know, yet another podcast. I mean,
0: you still te- you still need a phone or a Mac to listen, or excuse <laughs> me, a phone or a computer. We're not sponsored. No. A phone or a computer to actually hear us. <laughs> right. You know. Uh, however, I mean, we do. We don't have a cable news well, channel that's going to play a podcast. Our intent
1: is to not only create that dialogue, but, you know, potentially to create I'd hope a little bit of shift in discourse. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you're going to agree with what I'm, what, everything, what I'm going to say. Yeah. Vice versa, or even the audience looking from inside out mm-hmm. or outside in. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the whole what further arguments can be dealt from it to see what direction it can go from there. Mm-hmm. You know, like with the topic of literature. We spent what half hour? We, we spent much,
0: mo- and this was going to technically be another episode there where we go. talk about the status of like books, but right, um, yeah. I mean, I think too that's that's the the big issue at hand is that there has to be different ways in order to get messages across, but also to let people know about other creative peoples out there, right? Without needing it to be through some kind of lens that's a major company or studio or, you know, a big publisher yeah. even. I mean, I you know, the, for me personally, the publishing outlets that I follow tend to be a little bit smaller, some of them a little more radical as they claim to be. Mm-hmm. And they end up producing work that while admittedly sometimes is a little bit unreadable, at sometimes can be exquisite and Tremendous to read, especially if we're talking, you know, where we live. I mean, if it's about L.A., you know, pick up City of Quartz. If we're talking about immigration, pick up We Built the Wall. Like, there's a lot of great books out there by smaller publishers that probably— me mentioning those two books probably gives away uh, the publisher I'm talking about. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's about making that kind of a space— but also putting it through a medium that I think a lot of people gra- are gravitating to more. I definitely think people are gravitating more to the, the, the
1: podcasting, video hosting, file sharing medium Yeah, where it's not so much, you know, and again, ironic because it, we just spent the first 30 minutes, <laughs> but it's, it's not so much textually based anymore. Yeah. You know, and and whether that be, you know, traditional format you flip a page, now it's being used on tablets where, you know, that's how you get your news, that's how you get your reading material. Transitioning into what we're doing now. where essentially it's a uh, a further dive into the topic itself. You know, rather than just sitting here reading word for word like an audiobook. book... Mm-hmm we hope to share our interpretations with that.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, I think, too, you know, that that's just kind of the, as a character from The Godfather Part Two, who was once quoted by John Lovitz as saying, this is the business we've chosen. And that's an issue we run into is, you know, we write, we publish our own material, but at the same time, what more can we do with that on our own, and which is a great kind of segue? I mean, we're kind of already there about like why podcasting. Like we're two guys talking about books and the arts, and we're talking about visual media, whereas you're listening to us. And that's not to say in the future there won't be uh, any video. There, w- I mean, we plan I, it. I, I'm, I'm, at least I'm planning. You know, I mean, there will be some journalism involved. Like there's going to be some video. Um, we definitely hope to collaborate with other podcasts in the future i can already think of one that you know i'm very close to but um you know it's not 2003 anymore you can't have a blog i mean it's i've tried <laughs> me it too it doesn't work yeah i mean it, yeah. Having, having it's not to
1: say that it's it's not it's not to say that it isn't a fruitless endeavor i definitely yeah. think that getting your your foot wet is it's more so when you first have a blog, you know, kind of speaking from personal experience, you get this sense of pride that not only I wrote something, I'm going to have people see it. Mm-hmm. Which, you know speaking from the perspective of God, what was it? Nineteen, eighteen, sophomore year of college, mm-hmm. where I had my first blog post and it was just this inconsequential drivel about some satire i found funny i don't know it felt good yeah nobody read it (laughs) but and that's just kind of speaking from the heart of right then and there realizing i don't care if i never get paid Mm -hmm. for doing this i like doing this it isn't 2003 i'm glad it isn't 2003 because my god did writing all that
0: get tiring Well, I, I mentioned 2003 just because you have a lot of... That was where... That's when it all... Yeah. The blog bubble just went berserk. Exactly. And you had a lot of people that basically made their careers off of blogging about, like, the Iraq War. And they ended up and favoring it. Mm-hmm. And now they're adding to the discourse of modern-day politics, and they just need to go away. Right. And, you know... Even those few people that were, you know, maybe they were a little bit misguided for being, you know, they thought they were being cute with their attacks mm-hmm. while also supporting John Kerry. Like, they, they were still on the right path that a lot of those people that ultimately made a career out of saying, yes, we need to go to war, they were doing the right thing to call those people out. They're still adding to the same minutiae now that is just making the discourse even worse and Mm -hmm. even more unfathomable to listen to case in point the new hampshire primary um hashtag bernie one um (laughs) no matter how many other people are going to say well second place that's the real winner Uh, fourth place second the best you really want to be 11th because (laughs) what's better than first another one like no (laughs) there's none of this no um But on top of that, too, like even though there is – I can already hear someone say, uh, oh, well, just adding another podcast is just more saturation. Mm -hmm. And sure, that's – here's the thing. It's 2020. In any media market, there is oversaturation. In all of them, there is oversaturation. I mean we don't have the budgets to create our own cable news channel where we can be competitive with the other big three you know we can and in a, and in a sense we don't plan
1: to right you know it's at, also least, not at least get it out. to that at least get it to that point where it's like you know you're you know top 3 silently over combative mm-hmm. where personally i feel maybe i could speak for both of us that we don't feel like having that perspective is necessary where having this platform to have a platform not to you know, it sounds so cheesy when I say this, but really, like, it's the truth, you know, not putting others down. Yeah. You know, and not just stepping all over individuals.
0: Well, it's it's about, you know, and, and this is kind of the point of our show, but it's also something that as much as this is what the show is about in terms of what you're going to hear this is also what we're about in terms of what we want to do behind the scenes, which is build our collective even with other podcasts. Um, that being said, I'm, I'm more than willing to call out shows that may be, uh, you know, a little bit polluting what's going on out there, uh, you know, there are pods out there that are trying to save us, if you know what I mean, and, you know, it's up for debate. but. Yeah, it's it's about what we're doing and it's really weird saying uh behind the scenes but also in front of the camera cuz there's no camera yet. Um but you know, it, yeah, it and it, you know, it's it's what um it's what my good friend uh Kenneth Frank James Berry would say it's all about uh coalitions. Um and uh that's a that's a joke that I am silently laughing my ass off about. <laughs> but um yeah, and you know, as we go on, we are going to talk more about a lot of different kinds of art forms and also, I mean, you know, talk a little bit about what's going on in the news, uh keep y'all updated on that. Um yeah, I said y'all, that was a that was a work thing. Uh good question. <laughs> you don't that, get out much, do you? It's it's a good question <laughs> that won't get answered. Um I'm I am from I am from the Southland. Uh the Southland, uh, no, not 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 the Bible Belt. Southland. Not no 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 yeah, the, oh God no. I'm Southland. I'm from I'm from the the city of Angels. Uh, city of Angels. So yeah, um, yeah. So if anything, we're we're kind of giving this show in a lot of ways to you guys, but it's also just a way to let ourselves be heard. And you know, we were talking about this off air beforehand, but this is a show we could see going past the both of us.
1: I def- no i I definitely agree it's in in the alpha stages I would say uh, off scene you know behind the scenes mm-hmm. these conversations were all were always something that we wanted to take to the next step you know and whether it just be that whole that whole back and forth exchange you know I I saw—I don't know about you, but I saw something in it that could definitely be worthwhile to potentially other listeners.
0: Yeah. You know, of— And even other hosts. Other hosts. Like, even before we, we sail off—sail off? Sail off uh, like, it's the lighthouse. Uh, <laughs> right off into the sunset, like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you know— Favorite movie. We hope to have—mine, too. Yeah. Uh, well, one of my favorites. Well, um, yeah. You know, we hope to have other guests and other—or not, not even other—well— other guests but also other hosts hopefully down the road so um, yeah we're kicking this off uh, however we're gonna be signing off just because we've reached that time limit uh, that uh, we didn't technically set for ourselves but um, it was supposed to be earlier but that's what happens when you're having too much fun with a microphone in front of you so with that being said we're signing off uh, I guess where, where can people find us on uh, the socials? So essentially, on that's the a, Twits that's and thing. beyond.
1: When it comes down to social media, it's actually really simple to look us up. It is Mars on Life Show, if I believe.
0: Yes. Our, so our Twitter handle is at Mars on Life Show. Uh, same goes with Instagram. We're on both those platforms. Uh, in terms of our own social media, you can find me at, at Mancini RA on Twitter. And I believe I'm Mancini Ryan on Instagram. I mean, just type Ryan Mancini and you'll get my name.
1: Uh, with me, it's more so the same. Uh, the at handles, uh, little, very little variation. So with Twitter, it's at D-R-S-E-B-B-Y, Dr. Sebi. I had it in high school, sue me.
0: You've also got an underscore in there.
1: That was for my Twitter one. So Instagram okay. was the one without the underscore. Gotcha, uh, Twitter gotcha. is at DR
0: underscore...
1: S E B B Y again, sue me, it was high school. I was impressionable. But if you also but if you just want to get down to the nitty gritty of it, you can just search up my name, Sebastian Shug. Uh, if you search up for it in Google, even it's probably the first thing that you'll see alongside my other publications and collaborations with other individuals. So.
0: Alright. So that's episode one, everybody. Uh, see you later. Bye. Take care.